Thank you for joining us in this episode of SIFMA's podcast series. I'm Ken Benson, SIFMA's president and CEO, and we're here today to talk about the history of efforts to counter money laundering and other financial crimes in the securities industry and what the future may bring in this space. I'm joined by Steve Shine, Chief Regulatory Counsel at Prudential Financial Incorporated, and Kathy LaFosse, Managing Director and Global Head of AML Compliance Risk Management, Markets and Banking at Citi, both of whom are longtime leaders in SIFMA's activities in the AML and financial crime space. So with that, let's get started. To start with, what are the milestones that really influenced the evolution of AML in the securities industry? Kathy, you want to take a start at that? Sure. Um, I would say September 11th, the events of that day were really the first watershed moment for the industry as a whole, but specifically the securities industry. Um, the perspective of both regulators in the industry changed in an instant. Uh, regulations, proposed regulations, KYC rules that had been debated and defeated uh, just two or three years earlier on uh, out of privacy concerns, uh, suddenly became law. Securities firms that weren't previously subject to AML program rules became subject to program rules. And from an industry perspective, uh, the attention on this issue um, rose dramatically because nobody wanted to be that firm that found out they were facilitating in any way, shape, or form uh, transactions for uh, terrorists, money launderers, or others who could harm uh, national security. Steve, any of that? Or, or yeah, although even prior to that, um, I think the securities industry, even though they weren't subject to the regulation, um, um, a number of the larger firms, in fact, uh, started uh, AML programs well before there was a requirement to do so. Uh, so when the Patriot Act came uh, and was passed in October in 2001, those firms really had a leg up, um, and they had already uh, started very robust uh, programs on their own. Yeah, I'll just add, I, I, having been around at that time and, and actually serving on the Financial Services Committee at that point in time and having been through the previous previous discussions around it, you're right, there was that was long and drawn out, and then within a matter of... of uh, a month, it was law. Yeah, even shorter, <laughs> very fast, very and fast. and uh, and a lot that that I mean I think not even sure that uh, that everyone fully understood what was being passed at the time that it was being passed. But obviously, it was a, it was also a very uh, uh, unusual time and and very difficult desired, situation. Yeah, to act quickly. Um, well, let's you know talk about within the last five years. You know, there's been a, a noticeable shift in the industry in terms of processes and approaches. Can you touch on that for a moment? Maybe, Kathy, you want to start? And sure, sure. So I think, you know, the aside from the uh, evolution of the regs after 9-11, uh, eventually with, with regulation comes enforcement. And we saw uh, a number of key cases for the first time in the securities industry. And the, the, the two initial cases were what I'd call more traditional AML program cases, criticisms that the firm didn't have an AML program that uh, – that was tailored to the risks of its business. Uh, what we saw in the earlier part of the last decade and in recent times is an increasing number of enforcement actions driven by uh, predicate crimes that in the security space, fraud, cyber, uh, other areas that weren't necessarily within the remit of, of the traditional AML officer and AML program. So how that's influenced the evolution of programs is that the, the AML officer um, has become a sort of uh, gatekeeper 
um, who is expected to understand uh, where else in the firm uh, there are activities that could result in the identification of suspicious activity. So it's really forced, I think, AML officers to look beyond the program that they may manage and, and ensure that they've got robust relationships with uh, colleagues in the firm who are doing similar activities, um, just focusing on different types of issues. Um, the, other, the other shift that I would say is as expectations have continued to rise over the years, uh, the cost, uh, the volume of transactions we're looking at and the amount of work that's done, it, it begs a, uh, an assessment of whether there's a more effective and efficient way, different tools, uh, uh, whether it's automation of processes where those can be uh, the use of artificial intelligence or behavioral analytics in lieu of sort of the traditional out-of-the-box monitoring mechanisms. Um, I think all, all firms and AML officers are forced to think of um, more efficient ways that they can keep up with all of those responsibilities. Well, with AML currently acting in this gatekeeper role, as, as Kathy says, what, what does that mean for the focus for AML in the future, Steve? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I guess my view is that maybe we've lost our way a little bit here, um, that when um, the criminal statutes under 18 United States Code, as well as the Patriot Act were passed, I mean, it was to address a specific harm, and that was uh, the enormous amounts of drug money um, that were in the system that had the, uh, and in fact were corrupting um, financial systems, and even in some cases entire governments, uh, the kleptocrats, uh, who were looting their countries, and then, of course, uh, terrorist financing. Um, the question is whether or not the uh, securities law violations are better addressed by the securities laws as opposed to uh, AML laws. Um, and certainly there's an awful lot of, of good things that come from the SAR filing, and I would not dispute that, that um, every violation of law, um, you know, should be reported um, on, on SARS. On the other hand, whether or not enforcement actions uh, against um, firms, and in some cases AML officers, is really in the best interest going forward, um, and does it force AML officers to focus on issues um, that really aren't what what the the position was created for uh, and the harm it was created to prevent, um, and I think my concern there also is that um, if they are so focused on some of these other issues, that maybe they lose sight of the big issues, the terrorist financing, or the drug money, or the kleptocrats. I think the other issue there also is uh, the message um, that it does send to AML officers and to the extent um, that they are responsible for areas outside of the AML um, area that um, perhaps uh, with the risk of liability and even personal liability, um, we don't get um, the kinds of people that we want and that we absolutely need to be in those positions. So, you know, as we sort of think about it from the securities industry perspective, and 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 I want to talk about the SIFMA, uh, the SIFMA uh, AML and Financial Crimes Conference, which is celebrating its 20th year. And obviously, this issue has been around maybe longer than 20 years, but but obviously, but a lot has happened, and that and that is one of our preeminent conferences that we have that every year has a you know a tremendous amount of, of industry engagement as well as with the with the official sector uh, also. 
Um, what was the genesis of this event, and, and how has it evolved since, since it first started 20 years ago? Well, the genesis was that there was, 20 years ago, there was nothing like this out there. Um, there were some private conferences that were very much bank-centric, and uh, the industry was very different at the time. Um, very few of the securities firms, large firms, the wirehouses, et cetera, were owned uh, by banks. Um, they were independent. Uh, some cases, there were still partnerships, uh, others publicly traded, um, but standalone entities. Um, and again, there was no regulation um, prior to the Patriot Act, or very little regulation, uh, in terms of having to file and having to have a robust program. Um, but firms nevertheless uh, gathered together um, and created programs out of whole cloth. There were no vendors available. Um, so at that time, we um, built our own systems, had our tech folks build our own systems. Um, and as I said, there was really no educational opportunities out there for members of the industry. Um, there were, as I said, some private organizations that had um, bank-centric AML programs. Uh, myself and a colleague of mine, uh, Betty Santangelo, were sort of the unicorns. We actually spoke at those. Um, but um, uh, so in conjunction with SIFMA, uh, at that time SIA, um, we decided that there was a need uh, for that and uh, we would fill that need. Um, and we weren't sure that anybody would come, to be quite honest with you. There was some concern that there'd be 20 of us sitting around in a room uh, talking to each other. Um, but we were able to get uh, regulators uh, buy-in uh, at our first conference. We had the head of OC speak. Uh, we had the head of examinations uh, for New York Stock Exchange, uh, now the head of member firm for uh, FINRA, uh, a number of other high-profile regulators. Um, and certainly, I guess, uh, you know, if you build it, they will come. Um, it really, uh, the first conference really exceeded our expectations. Uh, it really sold out. Uh, we had hundreds of people there, um, very interested, um, and that really sent the benchmark. And every year since then, um, this conference has grown and grown, and we've moved to bigger venues and sold out those venues as well. I would say 20 years later, it's it's still the only conference of its kind. It is. Uh, for, for professionals in the securities industry. Um, so it, it is the place to be if, if you're doing AML in the securities firm. Yeah, and even beyond that, not just securities, I would say it's really preeminent in the financial services industry. As I said, it's grown from just one day uh, to now two days with workshops, um, and it's much more interactive, so it, it has evolved. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a great deal of, uh, of value in this program um, just because it is, as I said, uh, uh, the top of the uh, folks who are um, um, the, the industry experts um, as well as a vast array of regulators um, from FinCEN and from the SEC and our, our regulators from uh -huh. the Fed um, mm -hmm. and from the various prosecutors as well. And I'd remind our listeners that conference is going to be held next week on uh, February 5th and 6th, and it's still open for registration. I know we have a, we have a strong uh, participation already, but, we, but there's still space available for people that want to register. You can even you can go walk online. Walk in that morning. All right. You can, you can walk in. We'll register you at the door. And if not, if you want to do it ahead, you can go to sifma.org and register, uh, register on, our, on our website. Any other thoughts, uh, maybe before we close, that we didn't cover uh, in, in sort of the history of this and where we've gotten to? I, I will tell you that when I first came to SIFMA 
you know, after you know having been in the business, obviously not in this area, more on the banking side, and then and then in Congress and was around and involved around the Patriot Act uh, and and deliberations beforehand of what became the Patriot Act, I still was was quite startled. Uh, to your point, that the the prevalence of this with respect to the securities industry and broker dealers and investment advisors, because I think at least from a policymaker perception before it was always assumed this to your point this was really a bank issue like a BSA issue, uh, not necessarily something that applied to other uh, financial services uh, uh, sectors and and. You know, from a, uh, I can say from a SIPMA perspective, and our team, Seal Robbie, who sees, oversees that for us, you know, with very robust uh, committee structure and engagement, and obviously culminating or or, or or shown through this this conference and workshop that we have. Right, and very much a joint effort too, and it has been really over the 20 years from you know, member firms in the industry um, and SIFMA, our trade organization, as well as regulators and law enforcement really all coming together for this two-day conference um, to create a great deal of value um, uh, to educate um, folks uh, who are new um, to uh, the compliance space, uh, uh, AML compliance space, as well as folks who have been doing it for 20 years. And, and I would say um, it, the conference takes on uh, more importance year after year as um, there is more of a focus in the industry and law enforcement, not just in the U.S., but overseas on securities crimes, um, because it is another way to move assets. So we need to be vigilant for all the emerging risks that are ahead um, and keep pace. Well, Kathy, Steve, thank you all very much for being here and spending some time with us. And also to find out more information about the work that SIFMA and our members are doing in the AML uh, and financial crime space, look on our website, sifma.org. And uh, thank you for listening in.